Beginning in verse number 23, we see that God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. And this is a very strong rebuke that takes place in these verses that we have read. But this entire chapter, Ezekiel 22, is an entire rebuke uh, about the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem had sinned greatly and caused a great deal of bloodshed, and now we are seeing who is going to receive the judgments from God. In verse 25 and verse 28, we see the prophets will be judged for conspiring to spread error and oppose the messages of God's servants. Their aim was greed of gain, treasures, and precious things. And it's an amazing thing in the country of Uganda, and I'm sure it's here in Canada, the United States, that many people in, in positions of power in so-called churches and religious organizations use their podium, they use their platform to take money from the poor, to take money from the weak, and to use it under the guise of God's work. And you see that they have their big jets and their fancy cars and their mansions. That's what was happening in verse 25 and verse 28. Notice that these, that these people also, these prophets, made many widows. What does that mean? This was a reference to their false prophecies, which led the people to fight with the Chaldeans, in which many husbands would have died in this battle. It was an unnecessary battle, but these prophets, oh, they wanted to go. They wanted to get more money. They wanted to get more spoils, so they prophesied, yes, God wants us to go and fight the Chaldeans. And many husbands died as a result of this battle. They also lied to the people in saying something was from God when it was actually not from God. In verse 26, the priests will be judged for violating God's law. They no longer distinguish between the holy things and the profane things. Profane meaning unclean. They were abusing the name of God for false or unjust purposes. In verse 27, the princes will be judged for making their only purpose to get gain and take advantage of the people. In verse 29, the people will be judged for oppressing others and robbing each other and taking advantage of the poor and needy people. Corruption always begins at the top, but it always finds a way to trickle down through the cracks of society. Everything will rise and everything will fall upon leadership. If leadership expects purity and holiness, then they themselves must first be the example of purity and holiness. As a father, as a mother, if you expect purity and holiness in your family and your children, you first must be the example of purity and holiness. God rebuked the leadership of the land first because that's where the emphasis was. But he didn't just leave the people out. It's not that the people had an excuse to live ungodly, wicked lives just because their leaders were, li were living ungodly and wicked lives. God also rebuked the people as well. Notice the current position of the land in verse 24. The land is not cleansed. The sins had not been forgiven, nor had it rained. Rain was a sign of the blessings of God. Specifically in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 23, the return of the former and latter rain was a sign of the restoration of God's favor. Due to the sin in the land, God's blessings and favor had been removed. The literal rain had been removed and their crops were no longer being blessed. This chapter contains eight references to the fact that Jerusalem was a city filled with those who shed blood. This was a city marked by violence and brutality with a soaring crime rate. Sounds like many cities in society today. All of those references in Ezekiel 22 that God listed were to justify the intended annihilation of the city. 
God began the chapter by telling Ezekiel to go and accuse the city of their wickedness. In verse 2, God challenged Ezekiel to go and judge the bloody city and point out their abominations. The city no longer revered God's holy days and the Sabbath. Sexual immorality was running rampant in the city and weaker or lower class people were being taken advantage of. They had become like the dross or the worthless material in the smelting process. Smelting is a way that you can extract the metal from its ore. And in the process of smelting, there's a worthless material that is formed, which is called the dross. The dross is cast aside as garbage. However, we do know that the smelting process does produce silver, gold, precious stones. However, in this chapter, there is no indication that Jerusalem will emerge as refined silver. This is a no-hope scenario. For Jerusalem. So now that we understand the background of this chapter and what's taking place as we go into verse number 30, God was looking for a man among the people. God was looking for someone that he could use to make up the hedge and stand in the gap. Now the word hedge comes from the Hebrew word gadar. This had to do with a dry stone wall that was built to block a road or protect a city. Or it could be used as a shelter of stones. This hedge, this gadar, had to do with security. Security of the city. Security of their family. Security of their church. The word gap comes from the Hebrew word pedits. Pedits. Which means a breach or a place that has been broken down. In these days, an attacking army would come to besiege a city and they would try to find a place or an area around the walls, around the outskirts of the city where they could create a breach, they could create a gap so that the, the enemy, the attacking army could get in through the gap and take over the city. And what would happen is if a gap was created, an alarm would be sounded that we need to get to a specific place to protect the gap. The defenders would all rally together and go to that gap and defend the gap because if, if the attacking army gets through the gap, the city will fall. Our families would die. Our livelihood would be ruined. Our crops would be destroyed. God is looking for someone in this chapter to make up the hedge and to stand in this gap. He was searching for a man to provide security for his city. He was looking for someone to fill in the gaps that had been created during battle. But God found none. He could not find any man to provide security or safety. Now that was then. That was Jerusalem. That was before Christ came and died on the cross. What about now? What about in the country of Canada? What about in 2023? God is still seeking for men and women to make up the hedge and to stand in the gap for the land for the people. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has built a wall of protection through the Word of God. We have something that can protect us from the wiles of the devil. We have access to the spiritual armor of God to go out and confront the sin and wickedness of this world on a daily basis. But perhaps tonight you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never received the free gift of salvation for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, which, by the way, it is a personal decision. 
It's not the Baptist church that saves you. It's not the Catholic church that saves you. It's not about being a Baptist or being a Catholic or being an Anglican or being an Adventist or Pentecostal or whatever your religion may be. It's about following the Bible way of accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's Jesus and only Jesus. God is looking for someone to make up the hedge and to stand in the gap. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, tonight make your day of salvation. But for Christians, we have a wall of security. We have a hedge of security. But many times the enemy will create gaps or breaches in these walls. And these gaps will be used to attack God's people. Number one, the gap of godliness. The gap of godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 8 says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. The devil has used the gap of godliness to wreak havoc on the cause of Christ. Many times the devil has given us a, a false sense of what the word godliness truly means. He's clouded our vision and understanding what godliness is and that we've mixed worldly philosophies with our own version of what godliness might be. Paul told the church at Rome in 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Holiness and godliness are synonyms. Synonyms too. Hey, man, I like cinnamon. It's on my mind tonight. Oh, I came back and I got a bowl of apple cinnamon Cheerios. Oh, it had been so long since I had had apple cinnamon Cheerios. Oh, maybe I'll take a box back home with me. Of course, we have bag milk in Uganda. Bag milk, no plastic in Uganda. Anyways, that's just a soapbox. But holiness, holiness and godliness are synonyms. Synonyms too. They mean the same thing. To be holy is to be pure and to be set apart and clean in our ways. And godliness is to be like God who is pure and clean and righteous in all of his ways. First of all, we need inward godliness. Inward godliness. Godliness always begins in the heart. How can we expect to live a godly life on the outside when we are filled with sinful thoughts on the inside? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21, 22, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. He goes on to say in verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Jeremiah writes in 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Godliness always begins on the inside. Do we allow the devil to have a place in our mind? Do we allow the devil to use our mind as his workplace for planning wickedness? We must have inward godliness. Secondly, we must have outward godliness. Outward godliness. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Many Christians are content with maintaining a dim light for the world to see. Does our workplace know that we are Christians? Does our family know that we are Christians? Does my wife see a godly husband, a godly father? Does my, does my son see a godly father? Do they see godly examples in my life, in your life? We use the excuse, well, God knows my heart. 
But you know who doesn't know your heart is the men and women walking around you in your workplace and at home. We can't see your heart. Only God can see your heart. And Jesus said that we are to let our light so shine before men. So it's very much important what comes out on the inside also comes out on the outside. Outward godliness. Are we listening to the world's music? It's an amazing thing in studying music in Uganda, the Ugandan music and what they listen to and on a regular basis and how many times the Christian music, the gospel music has been, has been, has been heavily influenced by the world's sounds. And it's an amazing thing when you even go back and you study the advent of southern gospel music in the 1970s, 1960s, 1970s, transforming into the contemporary Christian music in the 1980s and 1990s. It was very, very interesting studying that the music from the world was brought into the CCM genre and we just changed the words of the world's music and added spiritual lyrics. So now we're listening to worldly, ungodly music, but talking about Jesus and talking about God and the Holy Spirit. Sounds like an oxymoron. Sounds like music that doesn't know what they're talking about or doesn't know who they're singing about. Singing and singing songs of praise, but having the world sound. It's very important that we are different. It's very important that we are separate and called out among them from the world. Inward godliness and outward godliness. If they were to walk past our church on Sunday morning or Sunday night and somebody out on the street were to hear the music being played in our church or hear the songs being sung, would they be able to know that it's a church house or would they think that maybe this is a dance hall or maybe this is a bar? If we were to take your iPhone or you were to take my, my Samsung or we were to go through our playlists and scroll through our music and we were to see what songs we're listening to on a regular basis, would we think that we are a Christian or someone who's lost in the world? Outward godliness, inward godliness. The devil has created a gap. He has created a gap of godliness. Are we watching the world's entertainment? You'll be very challenged to find a movie today that does not contain abusive language, inappropriate sexual behavior, a broken home, disrespectful children, humanistic principles and ideas, drinking and the glorification of abominable acts of wickedness according to the word of God. It's amazing how many, how many modern movies, if you just watch the trailer of it, you can see that immediately the father is some weak fool who doesn't know how to lead his family. And the children are back-talking the father and the mother. The children rule the home. That's the future. That's what's being taught in the schools. That's what's being taught in our entertainment. That's what's coming out in our music. Are we allowing that into our home? gap of godliness he's using a lack of inward godliness because huh? it's just not that we just wake up one morning and decide to be ungodly it's not just i wake up one morning and decide i'm not going to be a godly father today i'm not going to be a godly husband today it begins on the inside and it will come out on the outside it doesn't matter to us we've grown apathetic that Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay for the sins that we commit, that we're so readily willing to commit. It doesn't matter to us that our ungodliness is affecting the next generation of Canadians. It doesn't matter to us that the enemy has created a hole in the wall that he is using to attack our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've become as if we just don't care. We're more concerned about our own gains. We're more concerned about our own agendas and our own schedules, our own desires. 
God is seeking for men, husbands and fathers. He's seeking for women, wives and mothers today to stand in the gap of godliness. But number two, there's a gap of faithfulness. There's a gap of faithfulness. This one is personal. Because I feel in my own life that I struggle with faithfulness more than maybe my wife does. For men specifically, we seem to struggle with being faithful. Being faithful as a father and as a husband. Being faithful in our Bible reading. Being faithful in our prayer time. Being faithful in the house of God. God needs men and women to stand in the gap of faithfulness. Where? First of all, the home. The gap of faithfulness in the home. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 says, Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding the house is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A house can only be built through wisdom. And have we asked God for wisdom in training our children? Men, have we asked God for wisdom in loving our wives? Paul told the church at Ephesus in 6.4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How can we bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord when we don't have time for them? When our work is more important than our family? When maybe our ministry is more important than our family? How can we fill the gap of faithfulness when our children do not see a faithful father, when our wives do not see faithful husbands, and vice versa? The gap of faithfulness in the church. The gap of faithfulness in the church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I expect my son to grow old, leave the home, and be faithful in his church attendance. But am I setting the example? I expect my son to be faithful in his Bible reading, Bible listening, but however you, however you take your Bible reading or listening in, I expect my son to be faithful in his prayer time, but am I doing a good job at being faithful in it? While I have time to be an example to him, we ask why are children and teenagers the way they are today? Why have they rejected God? Why are they no longer serious about God? Why do they have a desire to live a worldly lifestyle and drink the alcohol of the world and do the drugs and live a sinful life? What did they see in us as a father? What do they see in me as a dad? What do they see in you as a mother? What do they see in you as a spiritual influence? Do you have positive things to say? Do I have positive things to say about the word of God and about the things of God and about the messages that we hear from God's word? Or am I always negative? Am I always complaining about what God's done in my life? Is attending church a serious thing or is it if we have time this Sunday? Or when we go on vacation, if we go on a holiday, uh, we'll, we'll, just, we'll, we'll, we'll take a holiday from church this week because we're on vacation. We'll take a holiday from God's word this week. Or family comes into town and they want to they gather for a birthday or for an anniversary or a birth or whatever the case is. Are you still going to be in God's house when the church doors are open? What kind of a testimony am I setting to my family if I choose to stay home when God's house is open? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There's a gap of faithfulness at home and a gap of faithfulness in church. When it comes to the home and the church, there's a gap of faithfulness in our society. 
God is looking. He's looking for men and women to stand in this gap. We need to be better leaders. I need to be a better leader. I need to be a better example, a better testimony. Because the next generation hinges upon it. Lastly, there's a gap of truth. There's a gap of godliness, there's a gap of faithfulness, and there's a gap of truth. Oh, the devil likes the gap of godliness. He likes that because the world doesn't see any difference between us. There's no difference between the holy and the profane. There's no difference between the clean and the unclean. It's a gap of godliness. Oh, he likes the gap of faithfulness because maybe fathers and mothers aren't where they're supposed to be. Maybe leaders aren't where they're supposed to be. Ministry leaders aren't where they're supposed to be. Faithful in prayer and Bible reading. He likes that gap too. He really likes the gap of truth though. Because if he can get anything about this book tainted or twisted in the wrong way, if he can get anything about the Bible uh, turned upside down to where it's not speaking the truth anymore, he has us exactly where he wants us. He really, really likes that gap. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's a gap of truth among Christians. Many Christians today only get their truth maybe behind the pulpit or behind a television screen or in the podcast or the YouTuber where... We have one Bible, two Bibles, three Bibles, four Bibles, Bibles on our phone. We have access to God's Word freely. We're not not at any risk of going to jail in our country for owning a Word of God, and yet maybe we're not opening the truth like we should be. Maybe we don't know what we believe, why we believe it. Maybe we just say, well, that's a Baptist doctrine. Well, that's what my pastor believes. Well, that's what my Sunday school teacher taught me. That, 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 that's, that's what they believe. What do you believe? What do I believe according to the word of God? The devil uses a gap of truth to get in and confuse people, and then we begin asking questions about our faith because we don't actually know what the Bible says. The devil loves that gap. He created a gap of truth in Jerusalem. Oh, they started worshiping false idols. They got their worship all confused. It was no longer about good, positive worship. They started intermarrying with the world. They started living sinful, wicked lives. The truth was now gone. It was no longer present. Let me go on the record this evening in saying that this book is truth. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou, Jesus Christ, shalt bruise his heel. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, capital P, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Luke 1, 26 to 27 says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
Oh, we combat, we, 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 we combat this in Uganda. The Good News Bible over in Uganda removes the word virgin and puts maid. That Mary was not necessarily a virgin and we create confusion. We create, we create confusion and may I say that the virgin birth is one of our core doctrines that we will stand on according to the word of God. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he was born with a sin nature. Therefore, he could not be our savior. Be careful what Bible version you are reading. There may be a gap of truth. But this book is truth. 2 Samuel twenty two twenty nine 29 says, For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's our truth that we have tonight. Psalms 19, 7, David writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, it's complete, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This book is truth. 2 Peter 1.21 says for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 10.27-28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I'm thankful for the doctrine of eternal security, that once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life, never to be erased. I'm thankful that Jesus takes us in his hand. God takes us in Jesus' hand, and the Holy Spirit seals us into the day of redemption. This book is truth. John 17, 3 says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 1 John 5, 11 says, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Revelation 21, 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Ephesians 1, 7 says that through Jesus' shed blood, I am forgiven. Acts 13, 39 says that all who believe on Jesus Christ are justified. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that I am a new creature in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says that I am sanctified or set apart through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1 says that there is no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1, 22 says that I am sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul went a step further and said that I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption in Ephesians 4.30. Titus 3.7 says that because I am justified by His grace, that now I am an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.13 says that I am delivered from the power of darkness. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And Matthew 28.18-20 says that I need to go 
and tell others about Christ. I'm thankful that we have a church that still believes in missions conferences and supporting missionaries going to the ends of the world to tell others about Jesus Christ while also staying faithful right here in Burnaby, British Columbia, passing out gospel tracts. It doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter where you came from. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But there's a gap of truth in our Christian faith. Many do not know why they believe what they believe. When was the last time we took our family and we sat down and we started reading through the Bible on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday night after there was a message preached, double-checking that the preacher was speaking the truth and not just up here speaking his own, his own whatever, his own thoughts and intents? When was the last time we double-checked what we actually believe in our home based upon the Word of God, not just because, well, this is how my culture has always done it. This is how we've always done it as Canadians. This is how we've always done it as Americans. No, what are we doing as Christians? Are we basing our lifestyle, our decisions, our parenting, our marriage, every aspect of our life on God's Word? Are we allowing philosophers, psychologists, the podcasters, our family, our friends, it's a common denominator there. All sinners, including me and including you. If we're not even going to the holy book, the complete, perfect word of God, we're creating a gap of truth. This evening, the hedge, the wall has been broken down. You may know what it is in your life, in your family. It may be a small gap. It may be a big gap. But regardless, the devil is using it. He's using it in the form of a gap of godliness, a gap of faithfulness, a gap of truth. There may be something said tonight, or there may be something that wasn't said tonight that you're thinking of in your own life, that the devil is using something to create a gap. Where are the Christians who will answer God's plea for those to make up the hedge and stand in the gap before God for the land? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time. I thank you for this passage of scripture from Ezekiel. You brought a message to Ezekiel to deliver to the people, and it was, not a, it was not a very hopeful message. But you haven't come back yet. You're still sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding on our behalf. You're still the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so we still have time. We still have time to rebuild the hedge, to rebuild the wall, to stand in the gap. The fathers, the grandfathers, the grandmothers, the mothers. You may say tonight, well, I'm a grandpa, I'm a grandma, and my grandkids, they're not here. They're in another country or they're in another area of Canada or some other country around the world. May I say that below us tonight, there is a room filled with spiritual grandkids that need to see an example, a testimony of someone who's going to remain faithful even in trying difficult days. Even when it looks like there's no hope, they need to see the ones with the gray hair standing strong in the gap of godliness, the gap of faithfulness, and the gap of truth. At home, may we be godly. In church, may we be godly. May we be faithful. May we be truthful. As the music begins to play, you can remain seated where you are. You may say something that was said tonight from the Word of God, from God's Word.
has said on my heart and I need to talk to God about it. I need to make a decision. Right there from your chair if you'd like to pray and talk to God about whatever it is you need to talk to Him about. Or if you'd like to come forward and use the altar, you're welcome to do so. We'll have a couple of verses as Brother Carlos plays. Let's do business with God if there's business that needs to be done.